0: Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Future of Jewish Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Hoffman. On this episode, I am joined by Oren Jacobson. Oren launched Project Shema to help build bridges between the Jewish community and the progressive movement. Enjoy my conversation with Oren Jacobson. Thank you so much for doing this. really appreciate it. Why don't we start by you bringing us into your early years, your young adult years? Where are you from, what you were doing, what you studied, and
1: so on and so forth? Sure, so I, I grew up just outside of Chicago. My mother was born and raised in Tel Aviv. My father uh, was born and raised in the South side of Chicago, just a few blocks from the University of Chicago. And you know, growing up in a what was a very liberal, uh, in terms of the American political sense home and a religiously uh, conservative in the, in the Judaic sense of the word home. You know, we, I think in many ways had a very stereotypical life uh, from young Jews in the late 20th century. My parents both worked two jobs, one of which included teaching Hebrew school after their main job. So, you know, Jewishness, Judaism as a, as a faith, uh, Israel was all part of our life, but not in a way that was, you know, for us, anything other than just sort of of matter-of-fact normalcy. It was never any, like, deep dive conversations about what it meant to be a Jew or, you know, deep explorations of the religious tenets or what is our relationship to and connection with Israel. It was just part of life, Um, and so, you know, in a lot of ways, I think that I grew up very similar to a lot of uh, I'm almost 40, a lot of American Jews of my generation, right, in a period of time that I think we'd all kind of agree has been one of the golden or the golden age of diaspora Jewish experience. And so I had a, I had a wonderful upbringing, two fantastic parents who took education really seriously, invested heavily into my sister and I worked really hard. Uh, you know, my mother, as an immigrant, has worked uh, for herself her entire life here in America and has sort of lived the American dream in a lot of ways. And my dad was a teacher who um, did a lot of really amazing things, including setting up programs that brought kids from more you know, privileged areas into places that were systemically disinvested and, and try to bridge the divides across our cities, across our city in particular in Chicago. And. Um, so I had a lot of great experiences. You know, my uh, my formative years, sort of post college, I would say for a decade uh, after college, was really just someone searching, and in many ways went away from home, both literally and figuratively. Moved away from home literally, and I think in a lot of ways moved away from Jewishness and sort of like the core of my family uh, in search of in search of the world. And when I was twenty eight. Uh, my grandfather passed away. He was living in Tel Aviv at the time, and I had never really heard his life story. You know, he was a man of his generation, so to speak, and he wasn't a guy who talked a lot about the past. And uh, my cousin, fortunately, had interviewed him a few months before he died, and that's when I learned sort of the full nature of his story. He was one of the 10% of Polish-born Jews to survive World War II. Uh, At the age of 16, his father told him he had to leave because his father sort of, for whatever reason, understood what was happening with, with Hitler more than, than maybe others of the, at the time. It was before Hitler invaded Poland, but uh, certainly Hitler was on the rise. And my grandfather at the age of 16 ended up enlisting in the Jewish brigade of the British army and fighting in World War II in Africa before then coming uh, back to the mandate and then you know into Tel Aviv and future Israel. Uh, like so many other refugees after the war. And so, you know, when you're, um, when you sort of come to terms with the reality of his life as a 16-year-old and then going through World War II and then the founding of Israel and all of the like intensity of that, and then you sort of compare it to your own life and sort of how, you know, frankly easy things were, all the choices that I had, all the options and opportunities, At 28 years old, when I found out the truth of his life story, um, my life changed in a lot of ways. And I went from what I would say was pursuing a pretty self-centered, egocentric, selfish life disconnected from my upbringing, my past, our collective past, to one that started to ask the questions about what were my obligations to us as Jews, to him personally, to Uh, to the Jews who never survived, to the Jews who never existed, Um, and really after that began a long slow pivot back towards both coming home physically, moving back to Chicago, coming home spiritually, and coming home metaphorically back towards Jewishness, and for me, my Jewishness has never really been sort of Deeply uh, ingrained in the question of religion and in the practice of Judaism, as much more, it's been about the cultural connection to the people and the history uh, and all that we've been through, and and also all that we I think contribute to society. And so, I literally moved home a couple of years later and began a journey that's been heavily focused on what I would call civic engagement, both inside and outside the Jewish community. Actually, most of it outside of the Jewish community, and a little bit inside. Um, and that sort of, you know, in a very quick nutshell, gets me here. I wear a kippah in public, but it's not because I'm particularly religious. We can get into that if you want to, but um, that's how sort of far, both metaphorically, I went away from home and then literally came back home. That's amazing.
0: Uh, so there's a lot there I want to unpack. Sure. First thing I want to ask you, it's, it's quite, you know, for somebody myself living in Israel almost for 10 years now, being originally from the States, of course, you know, having a Israeli and an American parent, mm. uh, like what was that like growing up? What were their parenting styles? Like mm. how did they talk about <laughs> being Jewish and Judaism? Like, can you break that down for us? It's super interesting for me.
1: So, you know, there's the the running joke, if you know, you know, obviously you know Israelis well, right? Like Israelis argue, right? But the argument is not uh, personal. It's not intended to be, um, uh, an attack on your character. It's just sort of the nature of the culture, right? Like there's this Middle Eastern culture that like the debate is more fiery and intense in its natural form without it being hostile or rude. And so in Americans, like it, that type of thing feels hostile, right? If someone's like raising their voice and elevating. And so my mom is much more of the Israeli and my dad is much more of the American in that context. So, you know, like I always, I jokingly would talk about the fact that like, you know like my mom was just much more sort of aggressive in her parenting style and much more direct and my dad was much more um like soft and emotive emotive and nurturing not say my mom wasn't nurturing it's just to say that because uh, my mom like constantly showed me love it's just to say that my mom was much more direct and my dad was much more indirect in the way that like he parented and she parented me. But in as as far as the the what we talked about vis a vis Jewishness, Judaism, Israel, as I mentioned before, it was really just like a matter of fact. It wasn't really like a long exploration. To the point being like we we spent summers and winter breaks in Israel literally every year growing up for about the first 13 years of my life until maybe sports took over the opportunity to always travel. And so, you know, it was just, it was just de facto, if that makes any sense. Like, I don't have any memory of a conversation about like, what does being Jewish mean? Or why do we celebrate Hanukkah and not Christmas? Or, you know, like, why are we going to Israel? And my friends are going to like, Disney World or wherever else they were going or Mexico or something like that. It was just it was part of it. It was not really like uh, an, an in-depth conversation. You know, I do remember, um, you know, the first time we went to Yad Vashem as being like a very formative moment in my life In them trying to explain to me the fact that we are Jews and what that is meant throughout the world. But I think in a lot of ways, they didn't want to focus on sort of the negative aspects and just wanted us to experience what it meant to be to be Jews in sort of a celebratory way. And so um, it was more de facto than it was in, in, you know, a deep random or a deep intentional exploration.
0: Like, what's the one thing that you thought about Israel growing up that you no longer believe to be true
1: today? So I think, the, so this is, this is um, spending a lot of time in Israel as a kid. And by the way, like I was there before the first Gulf War. So I had to be fitted with a gas mask at whatever it was nine or 10 years old. I had to practice going into bomb shelters. Um, so I have a little bit of like that tangible experience of what it's like to live in a society that feels under threat. Um, obviously it's a very, very small snapshot in time. Um, But for me, you know, like Israel, we didn't have a lot of conversations about Israeli politics or the, you know, the struggles between the Israeli people and the Palestinian people or the history of the land or any of that stuff. That wasn't what we talked about. It was just like, we were going to visit my mother's home and going to visit my grandfather and going to see our family. So there's like that piece of the puzzle. And then there's the piece of the puzzle that as a younger American Jew who went to, you know, I went to a private day school for several years, and then obviously Hebrew school afterwards. And sort of, there's the story that we are told about Israel. And so, I think that um, the where I am now is sort of recognizing that there's a very big difference between sort of like the mythic stories we tell ourselves about the founding of any nation, America included, and the hard reality of the founding and uh evolution of those nations and so i don't want to pretend that i'm an expert on israel or on um what it's like to be inside of israel proper let alone the way the dynamics play out and i also think it's really important to say that like israel is a lot more than the conflict between the israeli israelis and the palestinians right there's a beautiful thriving innovative country that is full of a diverse group of people trying to live and 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 deal with the normal problems of life and and thrive in ways that many in our community haven't been able to in much of our history. Um, But I think at this point in time, I'm much more clear-eyed about the hard realities and complexities of what what Israel is, what Israel you know, was intended to be in the purest spirit of its founding documents and its founders, how it's evolved, what that means for another people. And I think part of, you know, the word Israel means right to wrestle or one of the definitions of it to wrestle. And we talk wrestling about wrestling with now, God, like, yeah. right? Wrestling with God. And then if you're not wrestling with God, you're not doing being a Jew, right? And so, you know, I, I think that it's necessary for us to wrestle with uh, what it is today, what it was intended to be, where it is going. While also as an American who does not live in Israel, I think it's also important to be humble about the fact that I don't live there and I don't deal with the stakes of any of this. I deal with the impact of the stakes on my own personal psyche, on our collective psyche here, um, our own perception of morals and values and right and wrong. And so I try to balance that out whenever I'm thinking about this, which is to say, like, I can never actually know how I would feel if I was there. And I try to always keep that little bit uh, of humility with with all of the way that I as an American Jew experience and consider, um, you know, the dynamics and the conflict in 74 years of what is, you know, both a hot and cold war, um, while also trying to remember that like, neither the Israeli people nor the Palestinian people in and of themselves are the conflict. Um, they're so much more dynamic and beautiful and interesting than our hyper focus on those challenges can uh, can allow them to be from, from our perch, let alone from your perch.
0: Right. And, and so I think that's a great segue into Project Shema, which yeah. is, uh, you know, ha- has a, a huge focus on education. I want you to yeah. tell us about the project, but I also want you to tell us about you know, why education is so much a focus and a core yeah. point of what you guys are doing, because everything you just said, you know, being humble and, and understanding the nuances and the context and the depth and the history, all that comes from not just education, but the right type of education. So what are you guys trying to do yeah. to elevate and uh, change the way that people are talking about Israel, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict and so forth? Yeah.
1: So um, let me start by sort of just really quickly talking about what the heck we are, a right? Project Shema, your audience probably knows the word "shema" very well, right? To hear, to listen, to understand. Our goal is really to help build bridges across communal lines uh, and deepen understanding across communal lines. Um, And so our basic premise is that in order for that to actually happen, meaning for you and I who may come from different worlds, different communities, different vantage points, that the starting point of being able for for me to understand you and you to understand me is i need to accept and understand your the, the way you see the world and why and i need you to understand and accept not agree with but just accept the way that i see the world and why and try to create some shared context for our different ex- experiences um and so like that's that is you know at the core it's not about debating somebody's facts or worldview. It's about validating somebody's experiences and worldview and trying to help two people across a divide humanize each other and not turn each other into an abstract generalization for a community or an issue or a conflict or whatever you call it. And so, um, you know, what I think makes what we're doing so different is that We don't focus on educating people about the history of Israel. We don't focus on uh, defending the Israeli government and we do not tolerate anybody uh, who comes into our space, demonizing, dismissing, erasing, denying the lived realities and concerns of the Palestinian people. What we focus on is if you want somebody else to understand why you feel the way that you do, about this issue, why you are concerned as a Jew about the way people talk about the conflict or talk about Israel, or even potentially tolerate ideas which um, are either intended to, or have the effect of potentially demonizing and dehumanizing either Israelis or Jews, that we must recognize that there's a whole lot of context that we have about ourself, our story, our history, who we are that most people outside of our community don't have Uh, and that we have to actually do some work to create that shared context before you can explore in any meaningful way the really difficult pieces around the histories of the Israeli people and the Palestinian people. So for example, I'll give you one really important piece of context. The average person uh, outside of our community thinks of Jews as a religious group. In the American context in particular, that gets defined as a white religious groups specifically, which then starts to open up the American nature of race as sort of the central defining element of the story of our country. The reality is obviously that the Jewish community is far more complicated in its identity than the question of religion. In fact, most of us um, have an identity that goes well beyond religion and some of us don't have any identity tied to religion. Right, so the way that I talk about it is that Judaism itself is the shared religion of the Jewish people. Some of us are deeply orthodox. Some of us are totally secular. Some of us might even be atheists or Buddhists, meaning we have no connection whatsoever to the religious aspects of Judaism as a practicing faith. But all of us are part of and identify as part of and would consider each other part of the Jewish people. And in fact, the idea of Jewish peoplehood and Jewish nationhood is something which predates the idea of Judaism as a faith by thousands of years, right, the 12 tribes of Israel, not the 12 faiths of Israel. And so that's really important um, in the context of understanding our community's perspectives and concerns uh, around the conflict, let alone the connection to the land and the history of the Jewish people on that land, which is, you know, clearly, uh, By by all archaeological standards, uh, not up for debate, right? I mean, the 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 wall, the Dead Sea Scrolls, all these things, Hebrew literature that's two thousand plus years old being found in this in this land. Um, But without that context, peoplehood versus religion, you get into the next problem, which is that if you think Jews are a religious group, you inherently think anti-Semitism is a religious bigotry, which means that if anti-Semitism is part of the conversation vis-a-vis Israel. You're only looking for Judaism as the marker, which is almost never part of the conversation. And so we may see what we would define as anti-Jewish ideas inside of discourse around Israel or the conflict, but most other people don't. And so then our, our emotions, our blood, our fears raise, and that leads for a very Uh, unlikely situation where there can be anything productive that happens. So you've got to do a whole lot of work in in context creation before you deal with any of the really, really difficult questions on the ground. Uh, Otherwise, there's no way for you as an interlocutor who's a non-Jewish friend of mine to even uh, begin to process what is going on with me or inside of our community around these questions. And so we really focus on helping people understand at the base level where the contextual differences are in these conversations, how you overcome those contextual conversations. Which then can enable productive, healthy dialogue around the really, really hard stuff. um, In ways that can create at least more understanding and more humanization and more compassion uh, and do it in a way that, again, isn't focused on... Um, you know, pushing uh, the Israeli government's story or defending its policies or denying or erasing uh, the Palestinian people. And if somebody goes to our website at projectshema.org, you'll find our core principles, which I think are really humanistic principles that define the way that we engage uh, around these questions. Interesting.
0: So, like, what are some of the the most common misconceptions that you hear from all sides about the conflict? Yeah.
1: You know, so um, I want to, for a second, like take take the Jewish community and the Palestinian community out of this question for a second, because we're all stakeholders, right? Some of us more are deeper stakeholders. You're a deeper stakeholder than I am living there. Um, but we're all stakeholders, and so, you know, I, I think it's really important, um, especially in the context of American politics and the American Jewish community's concerns, to sort of give lots of grace and compassion to Palestinians here and there, um, given the fact that they're on they're on the literally the other side of the coin of this issue, and their pain, their trauma, their history. Um, you know, is tied to some, some things that are tied to our pain, our trauma, our history, and also, you know, our sense of liberation in many cases, right? Our sense of re- restoration. Um, I think then taking those two groups off the table for a second and talking about everybody else who are, again, witnesses as opposed to stakeholders, right? Um, I think the biggest misconceptions are really around the narratives and the histories of the two peoples, and then the notion that there is no way to hold those two narratives in your hand at the same time. right? This falling into this binary, where one can either be pro-Israel or pro-Palestine, that somehow these two narratives can't have major grains of truth in them uh, and also major grains of fallacy in them. Um, meaning that no one's story is exactly fact, right? No one's story is the exact real truth. Everyone's story has a little bit of something, um, but that both stories can be true for both peoples. And that if you can't actually um, try to sit with both stories in their complexity, that you're inevitably you will inevitably arrive at a place that dehumanizes and erases one group or the other. That's easier said than done, but but that's part of what we try to do. Um, And in particular, because our our major focus, not our sole focus, but our major focus is on um, sort of helping those in the American Jewish community who want to have these dialogues across these lines of difference, understand how to do this more effectively. And by effectively, I mean productive and healthy as opposed to trying to convince somebody that one thing is right and one thing is wrong. We don't go through policies inside of, our, inside of our workshops. It's not like a policy workshop. We're not advocating for a set of issues. We don't put out statements. We don't do any of that sort of traditional stuff. Um, but really at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is help people who don't have our context, our history, our understanding, our trauma, just better understand our community and the way that we are responding and why we respond to the things that we do. Um, yes, our connection to the land. Yes, our history uh, and how central Israel has been, Zion, Jerusalem has been, the biblical land has been to uh, you know, the Jewish people's modern story, um, but also sort of the history of, of violence and not just the Holocaust. In fact, we minimize the conversation around the Holocaust inside of our spaces to explore two thousand years of Jewish history and what that does to our collective psyche, right—the language that often gets used is intergenerational trauma—and the way that that trauma uh, informs so much of how our community, of America, responds, how the Israeli people respond, um, as well as how the Palestinian people respond—and um, I do think, I do think that looking at this situation um without recognizing all of it as a trauma-informed response setting aside the deep meaningful connections that both peoples have to this one piece of dirt this one tiny piece of dirt um if you don't understand them as trauma-informed responses you can't understand them at all
0: that's a fantastic point you know so we have the israelis and we have the palestinians often pitted against each other and then we also have uh, another sort of pit of uh Diaspora Jews versus Israeli Jews. We see that uh, divide growing, it seems, recently in the past several years. You know, once upon a time, Israel was seen as the so-called sexy, shiny object in the Jewish world. And now uh, a lot of Jews around the world are not really, um, I don't like to use the word supportive of Israel, but they're not either engaged, they're indifferent, or they're outspoken against um, yeah. you know, the Israel that, that a lot of us know and love, right. How, you know, so, so the Israeli Palestinian thing is one thing, but then the Israeli Jew versus the Aspera Jew thing yeah. is, is another, how do we uh, yeah. do better work in, in that sphere as well to ultimately get to a place where I think we all want to go. Yeah.
1: yeah so look, number one, I think in many ways, we don't actually know each other anymore. We have a stand in, in our heads of what Israel is. And, and who the Israelis are. And Israelis may have a stand in, in their heads of what America is and, what, and who American Jews are. And by the way, I would say that the recent histories of both countries have probably shaken the foundation of that understanding. Um, and so that only adds to the, to the mix. I, I will speak only from my perspective as an American Jew speaking as one American Jew, which is to say, um, I do feel an obligation as a Jew um, in what what I think are religious tenets, our cultural values, um, and what I want for uh, for Israel, which is to be a light up upon nations, uh, to live up to the fullest extent of its own aspirations on its founding documents, um, to call out and to speak clearly to my family about what I'm meaning us collectively as Jews about where I see us veering off the path based on my perspective. At the same time, I also think it's really important to be humble about the fact that, like, that's easier said than done from this perch here in the safety, you know, of America than it is sitting inside of Israel proper, especially given what the last 74 years have been from 1948 forward and what life has been like there, to say nothing of what the decade beforehand was, to say nothing of the centuries beforehand in this territory, in this area. And so, um, you know, I I do think it's important for all of us to sort of speak clearly. And I know that if you wanna hear people criticize Israel aggressively, the best thing to do is to go sit at a cafe in Israel. Uh, but I think all of us should speak clearly in, uh, as a family in trying to guide our family in the right direction. And I also think that people like me in particular have to have at least a small degree of humility in those criticisms to recognize that uh, if I were 39 years old living, in, living my whole life in Tel Aviv or Abron or Haifa or, you know, somewhere else, I might have a slightly different perspective. And I might also have the exact same perspective, I know that there are plenty of Jews in Israel whose perspective is probably pretty similar to mine as a you know sort of progressive American uh, Jew critiquing policy decision. So um, I, I do think that there is a need for us to re-engage with who we really are uh, and get to know each other again as who we really are and try to do that in a way that is not about judging the other but about just trying to understand how and why we arrived where we have arrived? Um, we need more of that, and as a family, as a as a community, and I say that even inside of the American Jewish community, I think the American Jewish community has has um, pushed people out of our tent because they don't have the right party line on Israel. Who are still Jews whose voices still matter, even if their voices are not representative of our global or American Jewish community, Um, and and I think that when you close down those walls, you actually harm yourself, and, and I'd like to see that change moving forward. Well said, my friend.
0: Oren, thank you so much for doing this. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me.